0: Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. This morning as we began our time together, uh, we we started by singing what I consider to be one of the, the great new or modern hymns written by two um, very, very amazing songwriters, uh, Keith Getty and Stuart Townman. And the song, as you know, is In Christ Alone. And the theme that I have for you today, the thing that I want to talk about, the thing that became even more uh, true to me as we went through a painful day yesterday, uh, is this statement, In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Church, I I need for us to really embrace this as a church, as Christians, to understand the urgency of our call, the urgency of what we are to do in this life. How many of you know that we're not promised tomorrow? How many of you know that? Well, if you didn't know that, you know that now. We are not promised tomorrow. We don't have a guarantee of those things. And so tomorrow is not where our hope lies. Our health is not where our hope lies. Our family is not where our hope lies. Coming to a church building is not where our hope lies. But the people within it who represent the body of Jesus Christ can be that real tangible uh, truth that we profess when we sing that song. In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, my hope is found. This morning, um, I want to talk about the hope that God has given to us, but I want to talk about it in two different ways. I want you to think about the hope that is still future-looking, and I want you to recognize the hope that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I want you to look at a hope that is coming, a true, according to the Apostle Paul, a biblical hope. And then I want to talk to you about the very hope that is, as this says, is founded in Jesus. It is true. It is absolute. It is unshakable. It is already done. As Adam sang in that last song, the war is over in many respects. The war is over. It is done. So there are hopes that we uh, have longed for in humanity and creation since the fall of mankind. And some of those hopes, some of those truths have been fulfilled. They are solid. They are done. And then there are these future-looking hopes, which I think we all uh, rejoice in. We all get excited about. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verses 24 and 25 that hope that is seen is not hope. Instead, uh, we don't hope for what we already see, we hope for what we do not see. Now this is not to be understood as uh, modern secular or uh, anti-theist people would, would say that, that faith is some sort of blind thing or faith doesn't have substance or evidence attached to it. Faith is a very tangible and a real thing. But hope is an amazing idea that we believe in the substance and the evidence that that we have, even though it's not ours yet. Many of us have, have undergone this same exact principle in our lives. We've hoped that one day we would live in a really nice house, maybe in a, in a good community or in a, with a nice yard so that our kids could play or whatever. And for years, that was a hope that we had. It was a hope. It was a real thing, but it was unseen. Now, when you bought that house, when you uh, possessed that house finally, did you, uh, did you keep hoping for that house? No. This is what Paul is saying. A hope that is, uh, that is uh, unseen is actual hope. But the hope that has been given to you, it's no longer hope. You have it. And again, there are are things that Jesus has done for us, and I want to talk primarily about those today, uh, that we have now, that we get to walk in now. They are sure, they are true, they are ours. And this is why we celebrate in Resurrection Sunday. This is why we celebrate in Easter. But let's look at some of the things that we, we get to look forward to. Clearly, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 is speaking of a future glory. Paul says in verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. And the glory that Paul talks about there is actually the redemption of our bodies. An amazing, amazing glory. This is something that is waiting for us. I share this all the time, add a little levity to the room. Every morning that I wake up and I stand up and I stretch my knees out, I realize how much I want the redemption of my body to come quickly. Because they hurt and they shouldn't hurt, but they hurt. And so there's a future glory. There's a future thing that we're looking forward to. For the Christian, there are future-looking promises, objects of true hope still because we do not have them. The scripture speaks of a new heaven and a new earth, a place where there will be no more tears, a place where there will be no more death, a place where there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. Instead, it will be a glorious place where we walk with our heavenly Father, hand in hand, seeing Him face to face. What an amazing, amazing hope that we hold out to. As as I've been processing through uh, something very, very quickly in my life, John, uh, passing away and, and, and hearing this news very late in the evening last night. My mind is drawn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there with me. I want you to turn there with me because this speaks of a hope that is coming and of a truth now that we need to live by. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Here's what the word of God says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. What is the resurrection about? It is about a future hope that we don't grieve the same. Do Christians grieve? Yes, Christians grieve. Should we mourn the loss of our friends? Yes. Should we, in that moment of mourning, through tears and through pain, should we always remind ourselves that there is a future glory, there is a resurrection power that awaits us? Yes, we should. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says as he goes on. He says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And one thing that I know about my friend John Riddle is that he loved Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. But look at verse 18. It says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. You want to know what you're supposed to say in times of loss? These words... One day, we will be caught up with Him in the air. One day, we will see our Savior face to face. And what He has planned for us is a glory that we cannot comprehend. And it is the joy, it is the hope that Christians have to present to the world. There are people that are dying every day. There are people who are going to their graves every day, and they do not know hope. The best they get is that we gather around as somebody is dying and we try to celebrate their life in the memory that they have brought to us. But there is no hope that goes beyond that day. And so as soon as those memories die, the ultimate death happens for those people in our life. But the Christian does not have that problem. The Christian has a hope that goes far beyond and we need to be a people who proclaim that glory. We have hope, church, and one of those pieces of hope, or many of those pieces of hope, are future-looking. In John 17, 3, Jesus tells us that this is what eternal life is. This is a future hope. This is eternal life, to know the only true God and the Christ whom he has sent. You want to know what eternal life is? It's to know the one true and living God and his Messiah. That is eternal life for each and every one of us. But if hope is future looking, if hope is something that we don't yet possess, how is it that we can sing words like this? In Christ alone, my hope is found. The answer is that the word found means found dead. It means established. My hope, the very things I longed for, the very things we long for, is done in Christ Jesus. And so today, we're going to look at those things, and I want you to write these down. I want you to write these down. And we're going to look at them through the verses of that great modern hymn, In Christ Alone. Each point, I'm going to read the verse out to you, and then I'm going to show you how the Scripture communicates this amazing truth. Verse 1 says this, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when strivings cease my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Now, while I have a captive audience, mostly Christians, but some who might not be Christians, or maybe you don't understand what being a Christian is and you just kind of show up, listen to me very clearly. There is a fear, there is a reverence that we will always live with in the shadow of God Almighty. We will always uh, work out this side of heaven. We will always be working out our salvation with fear and trembling, revering our God. We will also take heed of Peter's words, which says, uh, while you are staying here on earth, you will live out your life in reverent fear. This is a truth. We are not a void of this. What we are void of is an idea of punishment, of judgment, and of wrath. And why are we void of that? Because we are what, church? Loved by God. And perfect love casts out fear, the word there. The idea of phobia, the idea of some sort of anxiety that we still are awaiting judgment. Will we all as Christians stand before the judgment seat of God? Yes. But what is our, what is our joy? That Jesus took it for us. That Jesus has paid the cost for us. That he has made it right with the Father. John 3:16 through 18 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. Church, salvation comes by grace through faith. What was purchased on the cross, paid for sin, The way justification comes, the scripture plainly tells us in Romans, you are justified by faith. You put your trust in that saving work of Jesus on the cross. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has to do with judgment. And those who believe do not face judgment. Amen? We do not face judgment. So, John 3 17 and 18 goes on and says, He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What heights of love, what depths of peace when fears are stilled and striving cease. Do you know why we're afraid? We're afraid because of judgment, but fear goes away and striving ceases. It's not about obedience. It's not about holiness. We honor God with our lives, but striving to earn our place before God stops because Jesus won the victory. In Christ alone, church, my hope is found. Verse 2 goes on. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied would you say that with me church the wrath of God was satisfied that happens to be the most controversial line in this hymn and was for many years after it was written but truth is often controversial Till on that cross Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation. He is the the one who took the wrath of God. He has assuaged the wrath of God. Now there are many views and understandings of what was accomplished in the atonement. And I'm not saying that only one was true. I'm saying that God did all of them. And so God did assuage the wrath of his father. When sin was put on his son, imputed to us, and he was crushed for our life. Please understand this, church. The wrath of God that is owed you and I, the debt that we paid, the things that we could not pay back, were put on Jesus, and he was crushed for it. 1 John 2.2 says this, he himself is the propitiation for our sins, Jesus, and not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. John is talking to Christians, and John communicates to Christians, it is not just for you. His atoning work was done for the sins of the entire world. Now, some struggle with this idea, but let me, let me help you, if I can, with this. Don't, please, as you read through God's Word, please don't confuse the propitiation or the wrath of God poured out on Jesus for our sins, don't confuse that with our justification. Don't confuse them. What Jesus did on the cross was that he paid for the sins of humanity. But what does God say about our justification? It comes by grace through faith. Make sure you understand, this is why the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, you are justified by faith. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. It covered all the sins of all humanity for all time. Those who are justified are those who put their trust in God. Now, some will say, but there's a problem, Nathan. It's an American legal problem, but there's a problem. It's called double jeopardy. If Jesus paid for the sins of man, then how can men who don't believe in him pay again? Wasn't his death sufficient? His death was sufficient. His death was sufficient. But think about this. When you reject the only means of salvation that purchased all of your sin for all of your life and you then respond to that freedom by crucifying the Lord of glory, you have committed a sin that is above board. It is, or it is below board. It is beyond uh, our ability to change. This is what the scripture says. If you will study it, if you will give it your time and your attention, this is what the scripture says when it talks about the unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Holy Ghost. To do it is the outright rejection of Christ forever. And guess what? There is no, trans, trans, er, there is no salvation for that. There is no coming back from this. What God did on the cross was he purchased our, uh, our life or the opportunity for our life by covering the, ra- or the sin that we had done, by taking the wrath of God, and then he says, repent and believe, and you are justified by grace through faith. So verse, verse 1 of In Christ Alone speaks of the hope that we have now. We are loved and not judged. Can I get an Amen. We are loved and not judged. Verse number two communicates that there is no longer a wrath waiting for us. Can I get an amen? Amen. No longer a wrath waiting for us. Verse three says this. There in the ground his body lay light of the world by dark, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again. And of course we celebrate this. And he stands in victory. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. If you want to know the absolute nuts and bolts of of the gospel, you must understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Why is that important? Verse 17 of the same chapter says this. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, point one and point two don't apply. You are not loved. You await judgment, and it will be an unbelievable wrath. But but what do we know? He has risen. That's why we're celebrating but what we see in verse 3 is an amazing idea. It says, and he stands in victory. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me. The most unpreached concept in the church today is that you don't just have victory over sin in the great by and by. You have victory over sin now. You can say no. No. God is good. We have the ability. We often don't take us take God up on that ability. We don't trust in the Spirit of God who has been given to us or the knowledge of Christ where Scripture says you've been given everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Absolutely everything you need to say no to this. This is not a future hope. This is an already done thing. I get to walk straight and tall in the glory of my king. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Not pass if or they are passing away. They have passed Past tense, passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God in Christ reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Do you know what the word of reconciliation is? The gospel. You have the gospel on your tongue and in your heart, and you are to proclaim that truth to a lost and dying world. So love and no judgment is the first thing that we have now. No wrath is the thing that we have now. Power over sin in this life is a truth we have now. Verse 4, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand. Every one of us knows this verse. We should commit it to memory and we should recite it every time we feel threatened, every time the enemy is trying to convince us that he is going to win. Romans chapter eight, verses 37 and 39. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Finally, we have an assurance of victory today an assurance of victory today. We're not waiting to find out what happens after we die. To do so is to hedge your bets. To do so is to cross your fingers and not to have faith. We can know, you can know today what this life is all about. So in Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, your hope is found. It's not in any other thing. It is in Christ alone. There are future hopes that we're all looking forward to. No more tears, no more death, no more pain. But there are pieces of that hope that have been fulfilled and we get to walk in them now. And they are love and no judgment, no wrath, power over sin in this life, and assurance of our victory. Why do we celebrate Resurrection Sunday? Because we won. We won. We won. It is done. It is true. It is finished. It is over. The war is over. So in a candid moment, as the worship team comes back up, I want you, if you're a Christian, to listen to me first. If you've been drugged here by your family and you're not a Christian, you can listen to me next. But if you're a Christian, I want you to hear me right now. Last night, was awful. Last night was awful because on Saturday morning, John Riddle sat here in this drum cage and played with this team, laughed with this team. As Adam said before, came abnormally prepared for this team yesterday. Just an amazing sense of joy. He looked at Adam, he looked at the crew when he left, he says, well, I'm off to work. And that's the last anybody saw of John, at least in this life. That's the last anybody saw of John. Here's here's what I want you to understand. I want you to hear if you're a Christian. Your hope that is founded now is such an important hope that there are people in your life that, just like John, are not promised tomorrow. Stop assuming they just believe Stop assuming that their faith is real or genuine. Please do everything you can to have a conversation with those people that you love. I want you to speak to them about faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. I want you to take moments like today as a a driving force for you to preach the gospel because you don't have tomorrow, church. I'm talking to Christians If you're not a Christian, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at the other people. I want you to hear something very, very clear today, church. You don't have tomorrow promised to you. Stop thinking somebody else will do it. Just speak to them about hope and about life. Because if you don't, 1 Thessalonians 4 is not true for you either. You will weep just like the rest of the world. Because hope is done. Hope is over. There is no peace. There is no joy. There is no life. Share with those people that there is love in the Messiah. Love in the Father. A love that overcomes judgment. A love that took his wrath for you. A love that has given you power so that you don't have to live a defeated life in sin. A love that gives you an assurance that you can walk through seasons like this, fires like this, and go straight through to the other side. Why? Because you know in Christ alone, your hope is found and so is theirs. If you are a Christian, you don't have time. You don't have an excuse. You don't have time. You need to speak this truth to your family, and to your loved ones. They might not respond to you. They might not like you. They might never want to talk to you again, but they may just surrender their life to the Savior who bought you. So speak. We were sent into the world to go and to proclaim the blood of Jesus, the gospel who, which saves our lives, the one who bought us. Proclaim that, church. For those of you who are not Christians that are here today, maybe you're a, you're a fence walker and you don't really know what full commitment or full trust in Jesus, full surrender, dying on that cross looks like. You may not like my message. You may not like what the scripture says. As I said before, truth is often not liked. You may not like it, but I encourage you to listen. I encourage you to listen. Some of you who are not Christians are putting your hope in your strength. You're putting your hope in your intellect. You're putting your hope in your argument and your reasoning. You're putting your hope in something other than Christ alone. And only in Christ alone is hope found. You don't have to like me. I want you to. I want you to like me. I want you to love me because I love you. But I want you to hear something. Only in Christ Jesus is there assurance of victory. It will not be found in any other world religion and it surely won't be found in a a non-religion religion, atheism or any of the like. Your hope will not be found in anything else. But if you put your trust in Jesus, you will have power over sin in this life. You won't have to keep that addiction. You won't have to keep that struggle. You won't have to fight that fight because God is with you. If you trust in Jesus, there awaits you no wrath and no judgment. Why? Because what awaits you is perfect, unbridled love. God so loved the world, and as 1 John tells us, not just us, but the sins of the whole world. He loves you enough to bleed and die. He is calling you to one thing, unsaved person. He is calling you to repent and to believe. He is calling you to repent and to believe. So what we Christians do who believe in Jesus is we remember what he's done for us every Sunday. We come up and we take a piece of bread, which is our communion meal. We take a piece of bread, which represents Christ's body broken for us. And we dip it into some juice, which represents the covenant of God's blood uh, made for us. We dip it in that juice and we remember each and every Sunday we remember what Christ has done for us, what he has purchased for us, what he has done for us, the hope that we have in the future and the hope that is founded now. We celebrate in that. And that is a meal, that is a communion that is between those who believe in Jesus and nobody else. But I'm gonna stand right over here. Again, you don't have to like my message. You can come up and argue with me if you want to but I'm going to stand right here. If you do not know Jesus, if you do not know him the way I'm talking about, I want you to come talk to me because what I want is to invite you to that table as well. I want to invite you to that table. I want you to experience that truth and that love and that peace. You, you, may, you may not be an outright rejecter of God, but you're a person who doesn't fully put your trust in Jesus. I want to talk to you as well. Right now is forever. There's a song my dad wrote a long time ago. Tonight might be too late, so make up your mind. Right now is forever. Today, right now, what we have, this is forever. So please, let's make this decision today. Let's surrender our lives today to who Jesus is. Amen? Stand with me. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.